Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, thank you. You must have my son's phone. He's always losing his stuff. Actually, we have your son. What? I said we have your son, and we'll kill him if you don't do what we say. Hang on, right? No, lady, you're no, not I in said, charge. No, I said, You need to stop talking and start listening, or this will be the worst night of your life. You hear me? What's going on? They have Jared. Damn right we do. And here's what's gonna happen. Oh, if this is a joke, it's not funny. Who's talking? I'm gonna give you a figure, and I suggest you write it down. Hi, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Streaming, a Decoding TV podcast. I am David Chen. I'm Patrick Klopik. Each week, This Week in Streaming will cover a show that's new and interesting in the world of streaming. We'll tell you if it's worth watching, and if it is, we'll review and spoil and discuss the entire season of the show. Today, we're going to be discussing Full Circle, a six-part miniseries written by legendary screenwriter Ed Solomon and directed by Steven Soderbergh. It's currently streaming right now on Max, the one to watch for HBO. Uh, Next week, we're going to be covering Twisted Metal. Right here on Decoding TV. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun as well. You can watch Twisted Metal on Peacock and uh, hear Patrick and my discussion of it uh, sometime next week. So that's what's in store for you. And finally, I wanted to mention one scheduling note. Uh, typically, we cover Justified City Primeval here on Decoding TV as well. That episode usually comes out on Wednesday or so. Um, this week, it's going to be a little bit later due to scheduling reasons. Uh, so I just wanted to give folks the heads up. That is still coming, but it is just going to be uh, a day or two later than usual. Sorry about that. Uh, but it couldn't be avoided. You can find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. There's also many ways to reach me, as I will discuss momentarily, because somebody DM'd me on Instagram their thoughts on Steven Soderbergh's Full Circle, which I will discuss today uh, when we get to it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about our overall thoughts on Full Circle. Uh, we'll do a brief recap of it because it would actually be really uh, extremely <laughs> good, good challenging to do a luck. full recap of it. Yeah, and then, uh, and then talk about some specific topics that came up uh, during our viewing uh, of Full Circle. So, uh, Patrick Klepek, on our last episode of Decoding TV together, we talked about the finale of Secret Invasion, and we commented on how it feels really weird that all this stuff's co- Secret Invasion is coming out. Seems like no one's watching it. I feel like I haven't heard anyone talk about Full, full Circle. Uh, but this is a Steven Soderbergh-directed series, One of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest filmmakers of our time. I remember an interview that Steven Soderbergh gave a while ago where he lamented the current state of our media-saturated environment, and he talked about Jonathan Glazer's film Under the Skin. Do you ever see, do you ever see uh, Under That's the Skin? One of my all-time incredible film. Incredible film. Just so creepy. <laughs> Every time I think about several different sequences in that movie, it just it sends shivers down my spine. Fantastic film. 
I remember reading an interview with Steven Soderbergh where he said, I feel like if Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin came out in the 80s or 90s, we would have spent a decade talking about that movie. Like, it would yeah. have been like, they would have been one of the most remarkable works of the time, and we would have spent a decade talking about it. Um, now, because there's so much, and he gave this interview years ago. So, like, now there's so much stuff. Now we have a Steven Soderbergh show, full circle, uh, six part miniseries, super ambitious show. Feels like the budget's quite high. Uh, some of the great, amazing actors, and yet, other than the fact that I forced you to watch this for decoding TV, I feel like <laughs> I feel like no one is talking about it. So, all that said, I think let's start with the question of: Do you think people should watch Full Circle? What do you What did you think of the series overall? It's what you, to your point. It's very confusing. It's a very convoluted plot. I think it's a hard sell to in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, not because you can't track it moment to moment. I think it it is it is absolutely engrossing in the moment, but it's when you start thinking back to all the permutations that led you to this moment in, in the plot and where it might be going, that it's very easy to kind of lose the thread on what's actually happening. What's, what's occurring on the screen when you're watching it is dramatic and interesting and tense. It's just trying to grasp all of the threads uh, that are happening is very difficult. And so I'm not super shocked that it was also a difficult thing like if 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 you know silver comes to you and says i want to make a six-part you know tv series most places are probably gonna say yes and find a way to make it work but then what you end up with is this really sprawling complex thematically dense work that doesn't doesn't really have a hook like when you try to explain like like what's what's in this show like what's the reason to watch and you can go down a whole list of incredible performances and and actors that you don't normally see spotlighted i like there's all sorts of really interesting things happening but it doesn't um even by the end like there isn't there are twists but there isn't like a dramatic gotcha moment that's like oh like you watch the show and you get to this moment and like ho ho and it's just really good and really interesting but i i think it's difficult to sort of categorize and like why should i watch this um I, I don't know that I can boil it down to a single thing, which I think then helps explain wh- why have why has it been difficult for people to parse, grasp onto? Why did it seem feel like it just kind of came and went and will be maybe the sort of thing that gets kind of reclaimed in the years to come as more people get a chance to see it and process it? But I'm I'm not super shocked having watched all six episodes that uh, it didn't really land because um, it's not it's not sparkly and shiny um, and doesn't really have a lot of that uh, across its six episodes. Um, but but it was a, a very interesting nonetheless. I think I'm in the minority here, Patrick, because I, I feel like I really loved this show. I do agree with you that it is too complicated for its own good. Uh, but the parts that stick out to me are the Coen Brothers-esque components of it, right? Where it's mm-hmm. basically like people have a plan and the plan goes wrong and then they come up with a backup plan and the backup plan goes wrong. So they come up with a backup to the backup and the backup to the backup goes wrong. You know, like on and on down. And then it's like multiple interconnected stories that keep doing this. So I was a huge fan of it overall. But I think it's hard for me to disagree with anything you said. I think you're right that like there isn't really a hook like, you know, um, Come see Rebecca Ferguson kick ass in Silo, you know, whatever it is, like, <laughs> yeah. which she doesn't really do in that show anyway. But you know, you know, like there's some there's some hook of like you're you're going to see a thing to like 
uh, Rebecca Ferguson in a big cylindrical thing. Like that's the you know that's the hook. And or, like, or or even just like Timothy Oliphant, like like he, you know in a Justified revival. It's like what are you watching that show for? It's like yeah. well. I, I love that, like, that character, right? Like, I'm here. Yes. To, like, there's there's something to literally hang yourself, like, kind of hang a hat on. Like, this is what this show is. And then everything else kind of circles around it. And this show doesn't, I mean, this show be, doesn't even really have a main character. Um, and yeah. I think that that contributes to what makes it a very interesting work is it's, it's uh, essentially like rejection of, like traditional narrative structures that allow an audience to like be guided through the story. Like this show has a lot of characters, but I, and and maybe Sam is its closest thing to a main character, but I would actually say it's just a bunch of important chess pieces um, that have varying degrees of influence on, on what actually occurs, but it sort of rejects the notion of here is our main character. We're going to follow them through the six episodes. And I think that really, that's, I think a huge part of what makes it fascinating, but also as an audience member, I think can make it tricky to figure out who am I rooting for or even rooting against. Um, it doesn't have traditional heroes and villains. And I think all of that stuff, again, makes it interesting, but makes it complex in a way that I can understand why someone might watch an episode of this and go, I'm not really sure what I'm watching or what I'm watching it for. Um, but I think as a whole work, you you get a better sense of what it was what is what what it was aiming for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's just rare to get a filmmaker this talented, writer this talented, mm-hmm. cast this talented, uh, having like seemingly pretty free reign for six episodes. You know, like I, I just I really strongly recommend it. It has problems that we will discuss, but I do think you should check it out if you if you have a chance. And you know, a lot a lot of times, Patrick on Decoding TV, uh, we're trying to like. Uh, hitch our wagon to the star that's rising, you know, Last of Us, Andor, uh, and uh, House of the Dragon, right? This is a time where uh, I'm trying to get people onto the wagon, right? I'm trying to get people. <laughs> I'm trying to get people who listen to us to check out the show, um, uh-huh. so that they can be rewarded by listening to our conversation about it. Uh, but yeah, so sometimes we're like we're we're following the hottest trend. This time, I'm trying to say, hey, come join us. Watch Full Circle. Um, and if everyone who listens to this watch full circle, we will have increased the audience for the show by about 30%, I think. <laughs> well, um, and you know, it, it was a show that, um, I wish more people had watched because even in the lead up to us having this conversation, because it's so dense. And frankly, if I, if you asked me to sit and explain the entirety of the plot, I've read, there's an article, both of you and I have read, and we'll get into all of this, but like that expl- does explain what happened. And then it's just like right out of my brain. Like I'll read it again. And it's like I'm reading it for the first time. Um, it, and I say all that not necessarily to to knock the story, even though I think there are totally valid criticisms about about how it's structured and how it's told. But it's the kind of show that I would have benefited so much from more people talking about it week to week. Like it was mm-hmm. a struggle to even find thoughtful writing about it that could be used as a guide to help me yeah. process what I thought about the show uh like unfortunately i don't i think the <laughs> lack of popularity would have made it a hard pitch for you and i to have done episode by episode but this show if it were more popular really would have benefited from having the ability to sit right and think about it and talk about it episode by episode because i actually think it was released in two episode chunks it was released in two episode chunks. yeah this would have been a this would have been a solid classic 
decoding TV podcast thing where it's like every week we cover and try to figure out what's going on, but they release it in two episode chunks kind of awkwardly, I would say. Um, right. Very, very few shows are released in like two episode chunks. It's, it's not a common thing. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I agree. But that's why, Patrick, we are the change we want to see in the world. <laughs> we right are. We okay, are. we are the change we want to see in the world. All right, those are our overall thoughts on Full Circle. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, it's time to get to our recap of Full Circle. Now, I do want to warn you, there are going to be spoilers for the show starting right now. So if you don't want to be spoiled, we're going to spoil the show. But here we go. Uh, here's what actually happened in the TV miniseries Full Circle. Full Circle tells a sprawling story, and to attempt to recap the whole thing would probably get pretty boring and confusing <laughs> rather quickly. So I'm going to tell the story in the broadest strokes possible, but it will mean I leave out tons of details. Okay? Here we go. Full Circle centers around two families, one led by Miss Savitri Mahabir, played by CCH Pounder, who makes her living by pulling off murderous insurance scams. And Derek and Sam Brown, who are played by Timothy Oliphant and Claire Danes, respectively, who have made a fortune off of Sam's father's Derek's cooking empire. Pretty much every major character in Full Circle is somehow connected to these two families. The show kicks off when Mahabir's brother-in-law, Quincy, is killed, and Mahabir believes it's the result of a long-time curse. To lift the curse, Mahabir commissions a bunch of her hench people to kidnap and possibly kill Derek and Sam's kid, Jared. But the kidnapping goes horribly wrong. In a development reminiscent of and inspired by Akira Kurosawa's High and Low, the wrong kid is taken due to a case of mistaken identity, and then due to a separate swap, the kid is not actually killed. Instead, a dummy of the kid is shot. If that sounds really complicated, it was. (laughs) After that, a bunch of stuff happens. (laughs) And at the end of the day, (laughs) Miss Mahabir is apprehended by law enforcement. Several of Ms. Mahabir's henchmen, including Garmin, Harry, and Aked, have been killed along the way. All the children are returned back to their original owners. Timothy Oliphant's character, Derek, has learned some valuable lessons about parental responsibility. And Claire Dane's character, Sam, faces a decision as to whether she's going to turn in evidence she'd previously hidden about her family's misdeeds. So, that is where the show ends. Uh, so... We've talked about how the story is so complicated, Patrick. When it finally pays off in the end, I thought it was mostly satisfying. But it felt like there were maybe a few too many pieces for it to really land with maximum impact. 
Um, and I guess, you know, how did the, the plot end up landing for you? And were there plot lines that were more impactful than other? Like, what, which plot lines made the most impact, if any, at the end there? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I could have watched... Obviously, the show is trying to balance between these these different competing these different competing narratives with the sort of like the investigation and the family, and then like these Guyanese uh, immigrants and like the that sort of like the criminal empire. And each of those <laughs> could have been their own show. Um, and it was interesting to read, you know, about the making of the show. That like I guess it was originally written as three different scripts, like from the perspective of each of of those different. Uh, perspectives and then they were all sort of combined and i feel like you can see like you can see that spider web in the, the in the show of like how, that, that kind of origin story to to the plotting um and so for me it was like i i, I found every time we went back to these kids struggling to get back to their home like every one of those characters was like the most interesting part of the show to me um it's not a story that i have seen on screen really before or you rarely see uh acting that style of speaking that this background uh given this kind of spotlight and i just found that really fascinating it's not that i didn't find the like all the stuff happening with the browns to be interesting and it's like carried by exceptional actors but I've seen I've seen white privileged people before, and like they, it's a great like I've seen, I've just seen it's a that wonderful story. it's a wonderful genre it's a wonderful it's genre. A wonderful white, genre. white, and, white and people privilege is a wonderful genre yeah and it's yeah. and it's and it's done well and with nuance and it is interesting but I did find myself like all the time as we were like pulled back into their plot lines that I wanted to just go back to more of like well how does this like criminal empire happened here like what are what are the reasons like got this people these people to this place to make these decisions and that's the stuff that landed the best for me i do actually do think um it like would have been very easy for the show to give that part short shrift and to like under like understandably given the kinds of characters storylines we usually see prioritized and like hollywood narratives like that the browns would have been the central focus and and they are kind of the central focus if it, if the story like has any like central like uh, character plotting, but they really give like a, a lot of screen time and a lot of weight to the motivations and like emotional interiority of all these other characters. And I like the whole, you know, not, not, am I spoiling yet? Like, like, but yeah, like I don't want to. We're spoiling. We're spoiling. Okay, we're spoiling. Yeah, like everything that happens with you know, like them like escaping and like getting to the plane and like how they feel like trying to get back to Guyana, like all that was just like so thrilling and disheartening and sad and interesting. And so I, that is all the stuff that I could have watched six episodes that was primarily just like sat with those characters, probably a harder sell, even for (laughs) these filmmakers and screenwriters to, to have uh, said that like, that's the show they were going to make. But, um, and I think that maybe gets that, one of my issues with the show is that because it has to juggle all these characters and I don't think it necessarily, it it gives everyone proper time and wait. I think like, I think like that's not necessarily an issue, but I do think it might've been a better show if it had chosen to stick with more, like less, less perspectives given more time, even as though I think the show does a pretty admirable job of making sure that everyone, everyone involved gets an actual arc that is um, maybe not res- like given enough time to, res- I think like the ending is actually the, the stuff that feels the most 
rushed um, uh, of anything for a show that has as long as and sprawling uh, as it is. But I think it sticks the landing pretty well. I mostly just found myself wishing these Guyanese characters were like just broadly given more time because I found it to be the most interesting uh, plot threads of of the whole show. Yeah, uh, you referenced the fact that uh, the show covers this this, uh, community of Guyanese people. My co-host on the film cast, Devendra, really loves it. He's Guyanese, and he rarely sees Guyanese people depicted on screen, so he was uh, quite thrilled uh, at the fact that you know, there's a whole Guyanese, you know, a lot of Guyanese stuff going on in this. this show. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So I listened, I listened to the film cast and you briefly talked about, um, this show. I think the yeah. first episode or two with, um, your co-host Jeff Kanata. And then there was a moment where you bleep out Devendra <laughs> predicting what might happen in the show. Did you do that? Because was Devendra right? Like, did, yeah, did, yeah. Did, Appar- apparently like the trailer kind of revealed that, Oh, okay. Um, the trailer revealed that something that we will not discuss because we're in spoilers, uh, which is that Sam and Derek had involvement in some kind of Guyanese enterprise that went wrong, right? Like, okay. Um, and uh, when you watch the first two episodes, you have no knowledge of that. You have no idea that. No, that's I didn't see possible. a trailer for this at all. Yeah. Like, I, I went in. Uh, uh, I do watch trailers, but this one I, I hadn't, and. So I went in completely blind, and so that's that's actually kind of a bummer to hear because the way it's the way it's structured and the way it reveals like that additional layer to yeah. the show, I think, uh, is better experienced as a surprise, um, n- not a twist, but like a surprise like level of of depth to the characters and and their and their backstory than to know that uh, going into to the story. Yeah, um, because. When the show kicks off, it seems like it's a random. It's kind of like they've selected this child randomly, like. Right. But in fact, you find out that there's actually some purpose behind it, and and these the Mahabirs and the Browns have been like entangled in some way. Um, and I agree, like that part of the plot I found to be the most compelling. Uh, specifically, the part about like this idea that basically this woman, Miss Mahabir. Inten- like entraps these guy like these fairly innocent Guyanese people and makes them like indentured servants essentially because yeah. like they brings them to the United States takes their passports and then forces them to do terrible things in order to make money to like earn their way into America um you know that's a very like compelling and upsetting idea that the the movie kind of opens with and you really sympathize with these people who like came to uh, the country, like just thinking they'd be coming to opportunity, and instead they need to like murder people in wheelchairs in order to collect the insurance money off of them. You know, it's very upsetting. Um, so I thought all that stuff was was really great, and and honestly, um, the stuff that made the most impact for me towards the end was uh, what happens with. Um, the two kids so trying to like get onto the plane like everything's going wrong they, they tried to do the right thing you know but mm-hmm. everything's going wrong for them and they're being betrayed left and right and they're clearly like out of their element like they don't know what what is going on um i think uh the characters i'm thinking of are uh it's uh, uh natalia right and mm-hmm. uh who is the the gentleman that was with her um uh that is i'm looking at this i'm doing yeah. this to try and is uh, it gerald <laughs> gerald 
Anyway, I believe so. so. There, there are so many names to keep, to keep in mind. Um, <laughs> there, 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 there I, are. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I try. I tried to like. I have a full cast list here, like in front of me, and it's mm-hmm. still it's still difficult to uh, like uh, explain or understand. But um, let me see. Oh, was, was it uh, Lewis? I think Lewis was yeah, actually the one. Lewis. Um, yeah, that is with Natalia. Yeah, Ger- yeah. yeah Gerald Jones, uh, N- Natalia's brother, Lewis, and their friend uh, Xavier. Okay. Yes, correct. Okay, so yeah, Lewis, Lewis, and and Natalia, like their whole journey at the end, and like what how they're trying to escape. Uh, I thought that was super compelling, and and the most like Coen Brothers esque component of the whole. But but sapped of all of the humor, like sapped of all of the dark. Like it's it's very like it should be like to make like I feel like often when you say Coen Brothers, there's a. Yeah, often like kind of darkly humorous uh, yeah. quality to it. Um, that that is, is sort of intrinsic to a lot of the uh the the, the Cohen's work. That you're right, that exists here. Except, what if that, but just profoundly sad and upsetting, at, like every turn. No laughs to be found, in, like in this show, and especially what happens to to these characters. But you're right that it 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 maintains that kind of. Uh, like tumbling down a staircase sort of structure of things like continually going wrong. Yeah. But, but there's no, um, there's no emotional release. Um, like we don't, you don't even get that by the end of the show. Like they get away, but just to go back to the life they were trying to escape in the first place, they just mm-hmm. went from a sad situation to an, a, a sadder, more exploitive situation, uh, and and like you, you end up with these characters. Like you're happy <laughs> they they quote got on the plane, but they just go back to a life that you know they were they were trying to get away from uh, uh, in the beginning. I guess better than dying next to the no, water. Yeah, you know, yeah, like... I, I agree. <laughs> like all things, yeah, all things considered, better to be there than 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 where they were. Uh, despite the you know the, the glitz of the New York. Um, sort of like uh, buildings behind them as they as they sort of like wave goodbye to to America. But yes, better better than better than an you know a machete in your back. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other plot line that I, like I, you know I think we're supposed to be really invested in Sam's decision about whether or not to turn in her family's evidence. I didn't really feel no that compelled one way or the other. Yeah, Clarence doing great work to try and sell me on this, but I, I think that's actually one of the the plot lines that fell flattest for mm-hmm. me was um sort of the resolution to the browns like history with with all of this was like the like sort of like the arc of her feeling guilty over the 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 show and how she processes like the guilt and how she, she comes to terms with taking accountability for the guilt uh i enjoyed watching that arc but in terms of where it landed at the end i found it like pretty messy um, and hard to like get invested in. And it sounds like you kind of ended up in the same place. Yeah. uh, In theory, it's kind of a cool idea. This, this idea that this woman did this terrible thing decades ago and then now needs to like reckon with that and, and undo it. It's just tough that the show is very, very um, talky. And also this huge decision was made completely off screen decades. There's no flashback. There's no nothing to like, help you understand what was even going like people are constantly referring to stuff that didn't happen on screen in the, in the show. Yeah. And so it's just tough when it's like a huge character's arc hinges on this thing that happened 20 years ago that is for most of the show obliquely referred to. Well, and it's not even um, it, it like it, what makes that even tougher. And I think why it makes the show like 
tough to parse is it's not even something sexy or interesting that, that ha- like, like it, it's, <laughs> it's routing numbers. And, and like, and uh, like, like a lot of that is what it comes down to. Like, if you could just give me these routing numbers and that's like dramatically yeah. inert. And so yeah. absent any sort of flash to the past to like, I mean, we have like, like children being murdered and like even the bribery, like there are, there, there were things that could be depicted that I think could have allowed the audience to have a better sense of the gravity. I think the show tries to do that through these, like, you know, these Guyanese characters and this criminal empire, but I, I needed more of the Browns past. If I was going to, um, I don't know the show that necessarily wants you to have sympathy with, uh, with Sam, but um, at least to understand her arc. And I, I, I'm with you that you're, you're robbed of some of that because ultimately it becomes a show about, um, routing numbers, and that's 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 difficult. I mean, you know, Sazivitz is doing like incredible work to get you in, you know, invested yeah. in that. Um, in in the in like kind of the acting choices that that she makes for 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 her character, but but uh, yeah, I like I, I could have used at least one flashback. Look, one of the episodes was thirty seven minutes long, and the rest were basically an hour. Like add add on, you yeah, know, yeah. twenty three well, minutes that like that sends us back to kind of like the origins of. The, the Browns uh, history with all this. The most coherent explanation of the show comes from Roxana Haddadi over at Vulture, who wrote a great piece called full circles, artful end um, frequent decoding TV co-host Roxana Haddadi. Uh, I'm just going to quote from the article. Cause this basically explains what happened for those who are listening and they want to understand, right? Quote 20 years ago, Sam was involved in a property investment scheme in Guyana with Ranwell. Uh, who seized the land of farmers and the underclass, accepted bribes in return for payments made to foreign investors, then abandoned the projects after everyone got their money. Ranwell, who I, I believe Ranwell is Miss Mahabir's uh, former husband, right? Yes. Ranwell killed Clarence's son as an act of intimidation in order to keep the grift going, and that murder and the financing it provided each family has lingered between the Mahabirs and the Browns since. Sam has convinced herself the Essequibo money she used to kickstart her father's career was simply acquired, not stolen, and Derek used that same blood money to abandon another son 16 years earlier and secure his one-night stand's silence. Meanwhile, Mrs. Mahabir used her established connections back home to maintain the pipeline of young and impressionable Guyanese immigrants who work at her various businesses and line her pockets, end quote. So that, that kind of summarizes why that deal from 20 years ago is so influential to all the stuff that's going on with these characters today. Uh, and I was like, when I read it, I was like, this is the clearest articulation <laughs> of what happened yeah. that I've seen, including in the show itself, which like doesn't do that great of a job of like explaining what happened, right? So No, no. There were a few like open threads that were like plot, plot, plot threads that were left open. Um, you know, this message comes in from Deep D. Uh, and again, there are many ways you can contact us at decoding TV, decoding TV at gmail.com is one way you can email us. If you're a paid member at decoding TV.com, you can comment there. Uh, you can also just DM me on Instagram, which is what deep D did. And she was really looking forward to our conversation about first full circle. And she says, quote, I think the first two episodes did such a good job of building up the mystery, but I think the ending of the arcs didn't feel convincing for the characters they developed along the way. I think that was my main beef. For example, Xavier helped Louis and or Louis and Natalia out in the end, 
But throughout the show, his motivations were a bit unknown. Whose side is he on? What's his end goal? I just didn't find it believable that he would help them. I also didn't find it believable that Garmin Harry would have trusted Xavier with his family. Mm. I felt Claire Dane's character had been really selfish throughout the show. I mean, at the beginning, she was suggesting potentially not even helping Nikki in order to protect Jared. I just found it quite a sudden shift for her to suddenly be willing to go to prison to help other kids. End quote. So those are some of the things that Deep D wasn't convinced by. And I thought it's worth addressing some of those things. You know, like there's a bunch of things that are just like left open. Big question for me. Uh, what happened to Xavier's girlfriend in the hotel room? Right? Like, I don't think we ever find out about that. Right? Like, she, he, he goes to try to, he invites her to the hotel room to try to get laid. Um, you know, he tell, they get room service. She goes to the other room. And then the uh, Garmin Harry's dudes come in, and it, that was an amazing scene when they like he opens oh. the door a little bit, and they like take a crowbar to the thing. That was Terrifying. incredible. Uh, and uh, and then like they cut off the ankle bracelet, and I don't think we ever hear from her again. I don't like is she dead? Is she alive? I don't think we ever hear from her again. No, yeah, I'm with you. Um, like, like it's it's one of those yeah dangling threads of the show for a show that is as as long as it is. It doesn't it doesn't totally add up. Why we wouldn't get. A passing reference. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, she's not really she's not really a character in the show, right? Like, she sort of just exists um, uh, in Xavier's uh, orbit. Um, but yeah, it is it is a lot. Cause she, my assumption was she's dead. <laughs> like, didn't seem like those guys were screwing around once they got in there. And it would not shock me if um, uh, she made an, an unfortunate uh, wrong place, wrong time uh, decision by being in that uh, hotel room <laughs> with him. As good totally. as the food, the food might have looked. In terms of Xavier and Garmin Harry, uh, I think I, I just want to know. I was going to bring this up as a separate topic, Patrick, but I'll, I'll say like Garmin Harry was like unexpected MVP of this show for me. Yeah. Um, I didn't even this this actor was not even on my my radar. Faldit Sharma is the the actor's name, but he's kind of, in my opinion, the most compelling character in the show, uh, because he is the one who's like. He he's the one who feels like he has the most to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, like unlike the like, you kind of think the Browns are going to be okay no matter what, right? So it's like yeah. whatever. But like Garmin Harry's like something terrible could happen to him, and he feels like he's actually competent, and he feels like he's like trying to do his, you know, he's trying to figure things out in this situation. Right until the end when he makes a dumb decision. Um, but <laughs> but uh, but until that point, it, it's good. And and I and, you know the question was like, oh, it, would Garmin Harry trust Xavier? I think he would. Because Xavier has been extremely loyal and competent up to that point. Xavier gave a very uh, plausible story for why, like, he has, you know, um, why, you know, he's in the situation he's in with the with the detective or the U.S. postal ins- inspector person. Um, he uh, helps to apprehend Manny Broward in the final episode. You know, basically, he's proven himself to Garmin multiple times. Um, he's had multiple. Chances like Xavier has had multiple chances to kill Garmin if that's what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it doesn't strike me as weird that Garmin would trust Xavier by the end. Of course, um, where Xavier draws the line is you killing his friends. <laughs> yeah. At that point, he's like, no, I'm sorry, I can't accept that. Um, yeah, that was but- that was a pretty incredible moment. Like, that, that little, uh, like, because there at least is enough. Like I didn't think he was going to kill his friends, but the the show leaves enough in the, yeah. tension in, in the gap for you to wonder. Well, 
I don't think he'd do it. That'd be like a step further for this character. And but it was in the within the realm of possibility. Um, even yeah. though I didn't think it would happen. And the way the show plays with that tension, especially like the actual like setting and location, like it's really dark and you've got this yeah. boat and like New York's cities. And I mean, it's just just really interestingly shot that adds to a lot of the the inherent mystery with the character and 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 his motivations and where he ultimately lands. And like he he ends up being one of the kind of loose threads by the by the end of the show. Like, yeah, because yeah, you don't he, know what you don't know what happens to him. Like is he, does he go on the run or whatever? But probably nothing good. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think that uh like did they give enough DT one of DT's complaints is about like Xavier's motivations. I had no problem with that. Like he felt like just guy who is like trying to balance the different forces in his life and trying to do the right thing. And ultimately he like does the right thing at the end, you know, like he, he kills Garmin Harry, but he takes care of Garmin Harry's family. Like, you know, like he doesn't want any harm to come to Garmin Harry's family. He doesn't want any harm to come to his friends. So like, he's a, like just a decent guy stuck in a challenging situation. That was kind of my read he, on Xavier. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was exceedingly like, there are people when faced with an emergency, um, will panic. And that's what we get out of like Natalia and Lewis are two characters who then panic. And Xavier is extremely kind of, yeah. he looks at the problem, understands it, makes a decision. Maybe the decision isn't necessarily the best one, but like is clear eyed about what they're doing. And I think that's like, there's a, the competence is what all you know, is other than the actions he take. Uh, he's just extremely competent. And, and like, that's, that, that's ultimately, that's what allows him and his friends to survive to the end of the story is are his actions where he's able to be clear eyed. Um, and that allows him to deceive others into thinking he's, he is loyal. And so I found it to be like an exceptionally like complex and interesting character, uh, because of that. And then given that up against Luis and Natalia, as they're, (laughs) they're both flailing from plan to plan, uh, trying to do the right thing, but not necessarily thinking through the, like, well, what happens on the other side of this? Um, and it, you you get the sense with Xavier that he's thinking about what happens on the other side of that action. Uh, completely, he he feels like he knows he's planning ahead, and he like has all the angles. So I think um, he's. I think I, I choose to believe that. While yes, probably tons of great things aren't happening to him immediately after the the events of this this story. He's so smart. I like. I kind of figure he's gonna. Yes, Zavier's he's going to Ethan start. hunt. He's going to Ethan hunt this shit. He's going to get out of this. He's okay. going to figure yeah. it out. I don't know if he's yeah, going yeah, back yeah. to Guyana or not, but he will. He'll he'll make it work in New York City if he has to. Uh, you, you know, I I had asked to like, uh, I'd asked you to name some of your highlights from the show, and there were a couple of others that I just wanted to mention real quick. Um, there was a moment when Chef Jeff and his brother Gene reconcile. Uh, and th- th- that is a relatively minor plot line in the show, I would say. Um, the a- animosity between Chef Jeff and Gene, and you realize like the reason Gene has hated Chef Jeff for 20 years is because he thought that Chef Jeff uh, gave testimony against him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just thought that was really... Uh, powerful. Like I saw this show, uh, another show on Max, the one to watch for HBO called Burden of Proof. And the premise of the, it's a true crime documentary series. And the idea is that the main character in that show believes his father is responsible for the disappearance and possible murder of his sister. Right? Like, and what does that 
feeling and belief do to the family? Like, how does that change the family? How does it change? You know, it's a it's a tragic situation, and um, it kind of felt that way. That that th- that was kind of this whole situation too. Was like he there was a basically a misunderstanding. And when they finally reconcile, I thought that was very powerful. Did that moment land for you at all, uh, Patrick Klepek? Oh yeah, like the um, that specific moment where they realize that the initials have caused confusion over right. Um, like the way w- William like, Sadler is the actor who plays Gene, and it's just he just like the, the weight he, of it hits him right. Like he actually is expressionless, right? Like it, it is yeah, like yeah. it is, it is, it is though uh, a person is experiencing uh, t- like 20 years of regret in a single moment. It's like, like he's staring oh. down an entire uh, different version of his life yeah. that, where he has burdened himself with this anger and his, and, 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 and hatred directed at a person that has faults, right? <laughs> like, I, like, like, uh, but for the, the relationship between the two of them, would have been fundamentally different as a result. And like that lack of expression that he, that he plays it like before he, like his brother comes over and hugs him is just, I mean, the way the camera just stays on, yeah. like it doesn't cut. It just yeah. stays on, just stays his on face his face for like interminable time. Yeah. It yeah. feels like it's, it's several minutes before we move off. Cause at, the only reaction we need in that moment is of this character realizing like the reality has shattered for them yeah Um, imagine you've spent like 20 years hating someone and then you realize like hey actually it was it was all a misunderstanding like you didn't need to hate that person for that time yeah and they have that little moment afterwards where the last we get with those characters is them like going to a restaurant and like (laughs) like ordering food and that's a really um like kind of sweet resolution to to these characters this sort of sidesteps a lot of the, like their history and involvement in uh like everything that's happening in this show but for that for that that sort of moment those two characters what that weight represents i thought was a a really beautiful um beautiful moment yeah let's let's talk about the moral order of the show a little bit this is one of your topics patrick right? yeah like you that that resolution didn't quite it was a nice moment but it didn't quite sit well with you from like a moral perspective can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think this is tied tied up entirely, like in the complicit like nature of the Browns in like their historical actions that lead to the events of today. I think we don't the show doesn't spend enough time giving the audience a sense of the weight and gravity of that. I think that is highlighted in um like the lack of time we are given with uh, the like uh, chef Jeff's friend in the park, who is ultimately like one of the like, apparently main... critical to this whole scheme. By the way, we learned and, and as a sense, yeah, like but is essentially it doesn't even rise rise to the uh, level of a plot twist. It is it is more like I didn't really put the pieces of that all together till I was like reading about right. the show. Like it sort of just whizzed by, and I think that's where I think the show. The show spends a lot of time with the Browns, but I don't think spends enough time. Uh, like, I don't think the show is is conveying that it is trying to um, absolve them. Like, I don't think that's the show's message. And I don't want to I want to be clear on that front. I think the show is is pretty upfront about like um, like the wrongs these people uh, committed. But I don't think it spends enough time like giving the audience that weight, which I think then robs helps rob like the the moments of sam like uh coming to terms with her involvement it robs um what should be a more 
complicated feeling from the uh like the the realization over these initials like it's like 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 hey like this is more complicated than just two brothers uh like being upset at one another and i don't know that the show spends enough time or and it would have gotten more out of i think spending additional time uh making those those emotions those relationships feel as complex as the plotting to get to the routing numbers does yeah i think that's i think that's accurate you know when I finished watching the show, I thought, hey, I felt pretty good about the the moral order of the show. Like, you know, I, I have a philosophy that, like, um, that TV shows and films, like, have a morality. Like, they have mm-hmm. a they, – they, they are commenting on morality in some way. Like, does the evil person get away? You know, d- does the evil person get what they deserve? Like, does the good person get what they – you know, like – what happens to the good and bad people on a TV show or film tells you what the creators think about the world, I think. And overall, I think the moral order is pretty good. Uh, like, it's pretty... It, it resonates when I think about the moral order of the show. Um, so here are things that happen. I mean, Miss Mahabir is apprehended. She was not a nice person. She was apprehended. Akkad... Theoretically, not a nice person. Garmin Harry, they've done terrible things. Uh, they're they're killed. Manny Broward, kind of a slimy person, kind of a bad boss. <laughs> he's dead. Shouldn't have, gone, shouldn't have gone in that house. Soon as, gone went, in, soon as he went in that house, like this is this is a bad idea. None of this is going to end well for you, buddy. That's the thing. Is like how funny the show is at re- like just very very random moments, mm-hmm. um, and to have like Jim Gaffigan doing a high speed foot chase. Uh, I, I, I think they really try to play it for laughs, you know, like, uh, it's a, and it's a great act, like a great actor choice to put in yeah. that, that role. Uh, cause I think his standard demeanor disarms the audience to a certain degree so that when the show adopts in theory, a more serious tone with like this police raid, like contrasting that against just Jim Gaffigan's whole thing, um, is, makes for like a really compelling visual that like produces a lot of humor, just sort of like inherently with the, the pieces that are, that are on the board uh, on screen. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Uh, now the Browns is a little more complicated. Uh, I think Derek, who's played by Timothy Oliphant accepts his responsibility for his son. Mm-hmm. And that's good. That like no argument there. Claire Danes character, Sam, uh, you get the sense that she's going to turn herself in, and that's also like good. But like, it, it it is up to her, you know. Like she she gets to choose her own fate, and uh, but at the same time, that also feels true to life. Like rich that's, white, yeah, people, the, yeah. I think the I think the unresolved, uh, the unsatisfying feeling about her lack of punishment yes. is in line with if this story was real, what would happen? And so, right. yes, yeah. you don't get the satisfaction from the storytellers throwing her behind bars and like getting a perp walk. Um, But like that wouldn't happen. And like that whole scene with her and um, Harmony in the bar where they talk through how long might, what kind of punishment hypothetically, like would she get if she was to hand over this information? I mean, they sort of end up at probably not a lot, maybe even nothing, nothing, maybe even nothing, maybe even nothing. And, and um, that feels True. And I think that messy. So that's why for me, my issue is less with like the moral order of the show. Cause I think the show is 
is lining up with how the actions yeah. would probably, the consequences would probably lay, be laid out yeah. in real life. I just wish there was like, because we we can time skip, like because the narrative could do whatever it wants to depict events and it chooses to show nothing from the past. I think we're robbed of a little more complexity and weight to the actions of, of, yeah. of the, that Sam took uh, when, when she was younger um, and, and the sort of, the benefit that the Browns got as a result of that. Even you're, if you're act, saying like, like in the form of like a flashback or so, something, something like that, yes, something, yes. something that shows you like, Hey, like lots of people suffered horribly right. uh, as a result of these actions, as opposed to uh, what, you know, what you do see is like, Hey, the Essequibo Esk- is like half built and like presumably was a disaster, you know, and um, human misery has come because of it, but you don't see like the, the original sin. I do think that Sam and Gene, I'm sorry, uh, Gene and Chef Jeff were like fairly, my sense is that they, while they were complicit, they were fairly clueless uh, about this, you know, or that they they suffered in their own ways. Um, Like Chef Jeff just doesn't seem like he knows what's going on at all about anything. So like, (laughs) no, no. no. So his brother, you know, took a bullet that clearly has uh, produced a pretty profound kind of like walking disability yeah. um, in order to, in order to, you know, to quote cash in, but it doesn't seem like he's had a particularly happy life. Like right, right. If, if you want, if you, what you want is justice for a, an act that maybe was not taken by chef Jeff's brother uh, out of like the cackling maliciousness. Like there is a justice in, in like he spent 20 years hating his brother, hating himself right. and not exactly uh, being able to, you know, uh, waltz around the world in uh, uh, particularly well, and so it's not behind bars. It doesn't change probably the, you know, the harm uh, to, you know, folks who were kicked off their land uh, as a, as a result. But it is, you know, it, it it's not a happy. Uh, it's not been a happy life for for these for for that character at least. Totally. So I think I think we largely agree. Like morally, the show makes sense or it feels true to life, uh, and. Your only complaint is, hey, I wish we had gotten a better sense of like the magnitude of some of these crimes, you know, that yeah. they've they've committed in the past, so that it could land like these final decisions could land a little better. That makes sense. Um, so so much takes place off screen. I, I agree. You know, reading the description again, it's like I can't believe they made Ranwell a non like on screen character. That was that was an odd decision to me. You know, Ranwell, Miss Mahabir's ex-husband, like he mm-hmm. is so critical, but he like so much of the show is talking about stuff that didn't happen on screen, like to have a character who's not even on the show. You know, I get what they're trying to do, like his his presence lingers large over the thing, but it just it was it was it was a little too many a few too many things happening off screen in my opinion. Okay, Patrick. You had a couple things you wanted to talk about, right? Hit us up mm-hmm. with uh, one of your topics. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting and I was, I had a question for you was, did you, have you played the video game immortality? I have not. Um, but I know of it and I think I played video games by that, uh, by that creator before. Why don't you describe what immortality the video game is? Yeah. Immortality is a game that comes from a game designer, Sam Barlow, uh, who'd worked on uh, a number of, uh, games that sort of, uh, play with a mixture of, uh, film and game design, uh, including um, uh, her story, and I forget what the Telling Lies. I think is the is the other other games that Barlow has worked on, kind of in this space. And Immortality, um, which is uh, 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 his most recent uh, work uh, that came out uh, last year, is uh, a story uh, in which uh, you have like a 
you're watching clips from three different films from three different eras and you can click on different objects. It's not clear which objects you can click on. You are just meant to like watch a scene, pause it, and then you can guess like what would happen if I, you just click on an object and then it cuts to something related to that object. So like you, you know, you, you uh, click on a, a, like a movie slate or you click on a cup of coffee and that will have some sort of tangential relationship to something in a completely disparate part of the timeline. And it could be shots from the film. It could be behind the scenes, a footage of like the people making this film. And, it, and it's telling a, a story with a disconnected narrative. And your job as the, the player is to start stitching together. What is the story being told here by, by, by uh, uh, viewing all these pieces um, uh, cut up separately. And I find that I raised that because I found the narrative of this interesting especially once I was reading about the, the, the backstory of its creation in which uh, these two, uh, you know, screenwriter and filmmaker had worked on something I have not played before or, or, or used before. Uh, Mosaic, I think is the name of like this interactive work that Solomon and, and, and Soderbergh worked on a number of years back that had a sort of interactive storytelling format that like would be in the vein of something like uh, Immortality. And that this project was born out of, hey, we should revisit that. Um, and that like helps explain why there are originally three different scripts from three different perspectives. Um, and cause that would make sense if you were trying to like figure out the full interiority and perspectives of all of these characters, and then would allow the viewer slash player to jump between those in some way. And th- I kind of came out the end of this thinking it was a pretty good show, but couldn't help but wonder, like, especially with some of my issues with, the lack of context given to things in in the past, uh, the lack of seeing things depicted in the past, and 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 the show's desire to stay in the moment and not sort of like break the timeline. That something like an immortality or a mosaic, um, but like an interactive version of this story, th- could have been really fascinating as a framework to uh, to interact with it and to to experiencing it. Because I feel like a lot of the issues with the story are because it's juggling so many different things. And the idea that as a viewer, you could kind of just pick and choose like where you went on that journey, maybe it doesn't result in something better, but I think it would have been really a really interesting way to experience this story. And I'm, I'm curious if you, you got that sense at all um, watching the show. It's interesting to reflect on, right? So the idea you can imagine a story that's like, let's say the show is entirely focused around, Xavier, or the show is entirely focused on Garmin Harry, right? And then I'm like, oh, the bre- like, who is this kid they're kidnapping? I'm curious. Double, you know, click on this, and then like, right? Oh, now we learn what happened with the Browns and like what their story, you know? And um, yeah, I- I'm kind of curious. Like, I don't know that. Like, I'm trying to imagine like which one of these storylines is substantial enough that on its own it would be successful. And I don't know that any of them individually are strong enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Garmin Harry's is the clo- pro- one of the closest. Xavier's is one of the closest. Like, a, a, but, um, and maybe with a little bit more, if, you, if they knew they were designing it for that, maybe they could like build it around those characters or, or flesh those out a little bit. Um, but I agree. It does, it does have the sense of like, oh, we're following this person. We're following this person. Oh, hey, this is interesting. This is interesting. Let's go look at the and then the, now we're like mm-hmm. in this whole other plot line. So it does 
feel like that. But I, I do think that the show does a pretty good job cutting between them. Like I never, mm-hmm. I never felt like I was watching something that was supposed to be something else. Do you know? Mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, these are interwoven narratives. They're all moving a long time at around the same pace. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like we're like jumping between them in, in massive degrees. So uh, it's interesting to think about. But it's not when, when I watch it, I'm not like, oh, it should have been three separate movies or it should have been a video game. You know, no, uh, it's it's more that I I can sort of just see the by knowing its origin story, right. I can see how they arrive at this. Like, oh, I I can absolutely see how we get here exactly from yeah. there. Um, because I think you can see a lot of that that DNA, the DNA, and, right? Of like, yeah, we're we're kind of it's just so sprawling. It's going from place to place, and you know, and Soderbergh has made a lot of these like a lot of Soderbergh movies. A lot of his most famous movies have lots of different kind of protagonists that you're like following around as they go on different adventures. Traffic, the Oceans movies, um, Contagion, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, that's how he structures a lot of his films. Uh, but certainly in the context of a video, maybe we should play Mosaic and like, or actually Mosaic <laughs> is available as a six part miniseries. I, uh, I think so. Oh, you can, oh, so you can watch it. You can watch Mosaic. Like... Yeah. As a thing. Ah, so maybe that's something we should do. Uh, anyway, yeah, it, it, the the video game DNA definitely, or the interactive DNA definitely feels like it's there, but it's. I do agree, it's a little bit more sprawling than a typical Soderbergh, like compared to like Contagion, you know, mm-hmm. which uh, you know y- y- focuses on all these different um, families and people. Um, it does feel a little bit more unwieldy than that, and so that that might lend itself to being more of an interactive story. But I was a fan of the approach that they chose. Mm-hmm. Any other topics you want to bring up, Patrick Lepic? I mean, how, how did we get this far and not talk about the ponytail? <laughs> so you're talking about Dennis Quaid's character's hmm. ponytail. He plays Chef Jeff or Jeff McCusker <laughs> in the film. <laughs> uh, tell us what your reaction was to the ponytail, Patrick Lepic. I just it's 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 remarked upon once, I believe, in the pilot, uh, in which uh, an assistant or someone asks, like, "Is he going to get rid of the ponytail?" And then it's just sort of unremarked on for the rest of this show. And it's so it's such a distinct visual object. Like it's such a choice, right? Like it's just and and it as a sort of fitting the character who is um, you know, definitely portrayed as sort of aloof, not really there, like kind of just chugging along in life. Um, and so the fact that someone like that would choose at their age to wear to wear uh this this sort of hairstyle tracks um and i just found it so fascinating to then read like this interview at vulture where they don't talk to dennis quaid but uh they do ask like one of the folks that worked in the costume department um like hey like what what like was this a in the script was this in the the script like was this like was this part of the character like no just like right before filming, like Dennis Quaid said, I think he's gonna wear. I think he's gonna wear a braid, and they just had to scramble. And then Ed Solomon added a line to the pilot, to, like it was weird enough that the screenwriter was like, "We ha- okay, it's got it. We- Fine, the actor can do that. We're not gonna stop. We're not gonna tell him to not do it. But we have to put in a line addressing the braid because it's too weird." For the screenwriter to not at least have it explained or like referenced in the show. And I just found that such a, in many ways, I like the fact that it's not remarked upon. It is, gets like one mention in, in the beginning and then is otherwise just this thing that comes into frame every once in a while that you get to, uh, that you get to appreciate. 
You know what I also heard? Uh, I think there's an interview that Steven Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh or Zazie Beetz or one of them revealed that the decision for Zazie Beetz's character to have braces on just the lower part of her teeth was mm-hmm. uh, was up to Zazie Beetz. Like, and I guess I feel like th- this is why filmmaking is a collaborative medium, right? Is <laughs> like people come in, you know, Dennis Quaid's like he should have a braid. Zazie Beetz is like she should have braces on just the lower part of her teeth. <laughs> Right, um, you know, and it's like uh, that's not something that the director could have necessarily come up with, but it's no. like, uh, but it's like the actor feels like they know the character, um, and it's these are certainly memorable decisions. Mm-hmm. When you say Dennis Quaid's character has a braid, it's like, oh, that feels right to me. You know, that that feels like something <laughs> yeah. that that character would do. Uh, Zazie Beetz has braces on the lower part of her teeth. Yeah, that feels like that makes sense. <laughs> I, I have to say that uh, I didn't love the Zazie Beetz character for the first few episodes because I felt like she was in a different show. Like she she was kind of like, I'm in a wacky cop drama. I'm in a wacky cop dramedy. Like it's kind of like how I felt that character was. And then by the end, um, the, her character got a lot more serious, I felt, and um and more consequential and i really i ended up really appreciating that performance but the first few episodes i was kind of like what is she she and jim gaffigan are in like a different show right now you know i don't know if you got that feeling yeah yeah and it fit for gaffigan's character i think um but for her well for one she's like like hanging out at a gallery with her girlfriend and she's like oh hey uh yeah okay maybe i'll meet you up at the at the drop tonight you know like yeah it was in the the show wants you to dislike her. Like, and that felt like the acting choice as well is to really, it felt overly heightened. It's like, yeah. Hey, yeah. this is like, you're not supposed to root for like, like this, this is a pretty unlikable character. And because she's such a great actor, you can't help, but keep like such a strong performer. And like, yeah. that's, it's, a, it's such a specific choice. Like it's clearly intentional, like to yeah. play this character in this heightened, almost cartoonish sort of way. I just don't think it like worked at all um, uh, for large parts of the show. And it wasn't until the last couple where she takes on this like greater, well, like some actual consequences come to, to come to the character and, and like her decisions kind of catch up with her. And well, and, and, and she I shows herself to be, she shows herself to be highly competent, but like by right. the end, I think, right. Yes. Like she puts yes. the whole thing together before anyone, you know, like, and so I, so I appreciated that, but the first part, it was just so like heightened is a great word. It's just, it just felt so heightened in the first few episodes. I was like, what is this character even doing in this show? It was, it was really weird. Yeah. It was like, um, uh, uh, the audience uh, was her partner, like shutting the door and it was just like, just, <laughs> just shut up, just <laughs> shut up, like go grow up a little bit and come, yeah. and come back. And like, uh, yeah, she, it, she it, felt it, like someone who didn't take anything seriously, even though she has right. like a gun, presumably, and like holds people's fates in her hand, you know, like it, it felt weird. So, um, anyway, anything else you want to highlight or mention about the Steven Soderbergh series, Full Circle, Patrick Lepic, as we wrap up here? Um, that that Nikki kid, real punk, didn't like him. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, real, that, real unlikable character. That, that was the only thing about the moral order that I think was didn't sit right. Was Nikki just basically gets everything he wants, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. and like Nikki is like stalking his like biological father and his half brother. Um, there was kind of this uh, 
vague illusion early on of like, oh, Nikki doesn't understand right from wrong. And you get the feeling that Nikki is going to maybe kill someone or something, you know, like do something mm-hmm. terrible. Um, mm-hmm. Never follow it up on. He just, no. he just, he just gets everything he wants at the end. Um, so that was, a, that, that was a little odd. I thought, yeah, yeah. Every time Nikki was on screen, uh, it was like, okay, what is what is the show going to do with this? And the answer was nothing. The show's not going to do anything with that, which is fine. It's got enough <laughs> going on. I didn't need an arc for 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 Nikki as well, but it was definitely the oddest character in in the whole series. And I, the show, didn't really seem to know what it wanted to do with him, other than to be a, a plot device to, you know get people in, into certain situations. I mean, it, again, Nikki's barely on screen, so it all ultimately doesn't matter um, that much, but um, it definitely stuck out as pretty odd by, <laughs> by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, at the end of the day, I thought it was a great series, uh, really thought-provoking. Uh, Chrissy Mon is in our YouTube chat right now and saying, uh, representationally, uh, the show is very impressive. There are multiple scenes of Guyanese people and no Americans uh, they get the names uh, and some of the accents right. Uh, there are Asian Guyanese in it. I never thought I'd see Asian West Indians in anything. Um, so it, it is kind of notable from a representation perspective. And I think we did shout that out earlier in our, mm-hmm. our podcast. But uh, I thought the show was fascinating. Oh, oh, hey, hey. Uh, actually, the one big thing that I wanted to mention, I could not find... Uh, like I could not confirm that the show was filmed on an iPhone. Um, mm. Like, which he's I, done before, right? Which like he's done, he but he shot. he made a movie called uh, what? Um, High Flying Bird is that what it's called? Um, yeah, High Flying Bird uh, on Netflix was shot using an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't find that uh, anything about this film being shot on an iPhone. However, my my guess is this uh, entire series full circle was shot using one focal length uh, mm-hmm. is what it seems like. Uh, so uh, if you, if you're not uh, familiar, basically the, I the am late... not. So please, please treat the audience like you're going to treat me. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, l- let me just, uh, the layperson's way of describing it might be uh, a focal length is basically how zoomed in the lenses right mm, and you measure okay. it using millimeters so like if you have like a, a a 10 millimeter lens it's a wider angle than a 85 millimeter lens right it felt like the entire show was filmed using one focal length so one sort of step like a uh, state of being zoomed in if that makes it or one mm-hmm. basically a single lens right that's that doesn't have zooming capabilities uh and that is i was astonished by it honestly i i was i thought that was amazing i can't believe i didn't mention it it was i put it in the notes i didn't even talk i meant to talk about it earlier um but that was by far the most impressive thing about the show to me uh was i don't know if they use an iphone um if they didn't use an iphone they could have easily used literally uh, a camera that i have in this house right like because it was all done using one what seems to be a wide angle lens. Now, why is that difficult? Like, let me explain some context of why is it difficult. Why is it difficult that full circle, or, or why is it impressive that full circle was shot using one focal length? Um, people generally choose different focal lengths to evoke different feelings. Um, as an example, when you are shooting a scene of dialogue, you will want to be at a tighter, 
close-up focal length. Like, so you shoot it at a fifty or an eighty or whatever because you want to be close. You want to be focused on the on the person. When you want to show a big crowd scene with a lot of people, you zoom out. You have a wider angle so you can see more. Right. Um, it is a very useful tool from a filmmaking perspective to have different focal lengths to shoot an entire show using what seemed to be. Now I think there's like a, a handful of shots that weren't wide angle, but virtually every single shot in full circle was wide angle. I paid attention because I was like, <laughs> I, I, when I started noticing it, I was like, this is incredible. Right. Um, it, it's basically removing a tool from your toolbox and being like, I can still make, you know, I can still make the show. It's like tying one hand behind your back or, you know, um, I don't know what it would be like. What, what would be the equivalent in video games, Patrick? It would be like, <laughs> you know, I'm making, um, I'm making a, a story-driven show. Uh, I'm making a story-driven video game, but people can't speak using the letter E. You know, like, or so, <laughs> something like, or, it, it, you know, it'd be, it'd be something where it's like, wow, like this constraint is massive. It, that, that's mm-hmm. a huge constraint to like put on yourself. Um, and uh, sh- scene after scene, Soderbergh is choosing exactly the right angle. He's always like, he knows exactly where to put the camera to do what he needs to do. I'm just like in awe of how good it is. Um, Patrick Klepek, did you notice this at all? Uh, was it a distraction to you? You know, what were your thoughts on like the cinematog- the cinematography of Full Circle? I'm learning all of this right now, David. Okay. okay. Um, and so, so you didn't, it, didn't even, it didn't even occur to you that like every shot is like shot with like a relatively wide angle lens. No, I mean, it makes me curious to go back to see yeah. if I would uh, pick up on that. But I, I think probably it works on both levels, right? Like someone like yourself that can sit and identify what the filmmaker is choosing to or to not evoke through the, those choices. Then for a layman like me works on the other side, which is that, that reaction is happening intrinsically emotionally, even mm-hmm. if I'm not aware of it because of those choices. So I'd be well, curious to go back at, and watch at times, at times it gets distracting. Like, it, cause mm. a lot of it is handheld. And at times you like sense the camera person moving to like moving to get into a specific position. Mm-hmm. My, my guess is the reason he did it was so he could like, he has talked about when he shot high flying bird on an iPhone eight, he's talked about how what's great about it is it feels like, the director and the camera person disappear. Like there's no one there. Cause usually when you're filming on a set, there's like 50 people there. There's like mm-hmm. lighters and gaffers and sound people. And there's still sound people on this for sure. Like sound is an incredibly important part. Um, but just like he, he can be five feet away from the actor when he's shooting using an iPhone. Right. My guess is he chose like a wide angle lens on some camera. Could have been an iPhone. Could have been like a mirrorless camera is my guess. I don't know. Maybe Ari Alexa Mini. I have no idea. Um, but uh, my guess is he chose it so he could be like really close to the actors and like working with them in a really meaningful way. Um, but it does get distracted. It does sometimes it feels like, oh, they've lost control of the camera a little bit. You didn't notice any of that? Like that, that didn't distract you at all? That's no, cool. no. But it's a, it's a really, it's like fascinating to hear, um, the, you know, a theory of how that, how that impacts the, the film. Yeah. I, I, I don't, maybe he's talked, I've looked at some interviews with him. I haven't seen him talk about it. So I'm actually like, but but it's just like, um, it's a shame more people aren't talking about this show because if they were more people would be talking about the fact that (laughs) one focal length is used for virtually the entire, 
right. what appears to be one focal length. I, whether it's one focal length or not, it's the whole thing is shot wide angle. Like the, yeah, it, it, it's either twenty four, thirty five, you know, something something wide angle for most of the show, and it, it's just it's just it's like a masterclass in like uh, how you can tell a story using just one like literally using the iPhone lens on your phone like the lens on your phone that angle you can shoot an entire series and have it be visually interesting um so anyway thank you for letting me go off on that for 10 minutes I appreciate it. okay <laughs> no no problem uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com email us at decodingtv at gmail.com let us know what you thought of uh, Full Circle as I mentioned Patrick Klepik's going to be sticking with us for uh, the foreseeable future doing weekly coverage of shows right here on Decoding TV next week we're going to be covering Twisted Metal which is streaming right now on Peacock should be a fun episode uh, and be sure to check out Patrick's other work at his Substack, patrickklepik.substack.com, as well as at Remap Radio, which I think is at remapradio.com. Right, Patrick? That's correct. He is Patrick Klepik. I'm David Chen. You're listening to Decoding TV. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash decoding TV. Thanks for watching or listening. We'll see you very soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.